was sitting in the lounge room having a poor little old me moment and I was feeling pretty down and I just had this energy, I felt this sense and I've closed my eyes and I felt my nan. My nan passed when I was 14. She was behind me and she had a hand on my shoulder and I closed my eyes and I just sort of leaned back in the chair and I had this picture, this image in my head of her mother behind her and my other grandmother, my mum, and there were just all these women going back as, you know, to almost like a line till they sort of faded away. I knew then that I was heading in the right track and that what I was trying to achieve for myself and for my family was the right thing and that I had the spirit of all of these women from generations back that were supporting me and giving me their strength. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings, and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. Thank you for joining us. Before I launch into this week's episode, quick reminder that if you love Spirit Sisters, it would be wonderful if you could write a review and leave a five-star rating. This will ensure that others who may need to hear the stories of wonder, hope and healing that we share here will find their way to the show. This week is the conclusion of my conversation with Shane Wallace, whose story I first told in my book Spirit Sisters more than a decade ago. Shane's son, Jamie, tragically died at age 16 in 2007. In the last episode, Shane told us all about Jamie, his struggles, and about the unforgettable moment she saw her son raging and confused in the hours following his death. If you haven't listened to part one, please scroll down and listen to that episode first so you don't miss a thing. Today, in part two, Shane takes us full circle, sharing more about the ways Jamie lets her and his loved ones know that he's with them, the way he's taken on a guardian role for his family, including the day he saved Shane from a terrifying would-be carjacker. That's a cracker of a story. Powerfully, Shane also talks candidly about the journey of healing that she's been on since losing her boy. Our conversation embraces what Shane's learned about self-forgiveness, the importance of being kinder to herself, and what she's come to understand about the pivotal role Jamie's passing played in leading her to break the patterns of intergenerational trauma that had poisoned her family tree. Stick around until the end as Shane, who's considering becoming a grief counsellor, offers hard-learnt, heartfelt words of wisdom for parents grieving the loss of a child. Enjoy my conversation with the generous, humble and insightful Shane Wallace. Hi Shane, welcome back to Spirit Sisters. Hi, thanks for having me back again. It's so lovely to have you back. We've still got so much to talk about, so I'm happy that you were able to make the time to join us again and finish our our lovely conversation. Yep, sounds good. Yeah, it's great. 
Okay, so when we left off last time, you had um, told us all about Jamie, what had happened, and you were starting to tell us about your gift. You told us about the experiences that you had as a little girl and the elderly couple that would materialize by your bed and all of these other things. And then you began to tell us about your daughter, Shanae, who was a little girl when, when her brother, her big brother passed away. And uh, she's a young woman now, and she appears to have inherited your gift, at least when she was a little girl. Is that right, Shane? Yeah, definitely. And she, yeah, she's quite a remarkable young woman, actually. Not so much. Um, we we made a decision a few years back to to kind of put some boundaries in place and tone it right down and focus on on other areas because for Shanae it um, it actually became quite overwhelming. She's highly empathic and and sees a lot of things and and it just it all became a bit too much. It um, she um, ended up experiencing anxieties and things like that that affected her schoolwork. Kind of, I guess, to explain with Shanae, Shanae from a from a very young age has been crossing people over. Yes, and actually, you did begin to tell us about that. You told us about the the little the souls, the little people that um, would would flock to her. Yeah, so she would um, she would we we called her the collector. So wow. she would um, she would come across um, when we lived in we lived at the time. Obviously, we lived in Kalgoorlie till she was nearly five. It really ramped up once we'd moved to Chidlow, and Chidlow is a very, very, very old little tiny town up in the Perth Hills. Mm-hmm. And pretty much from the moment we got there, there was a, an, an energy about the place, and very you could just tell that there was a lot going on in the area. So Shanae would um, collect little people, little lost souls, and bring them home. And it was her way of mothering them and um, and making sure that they were safe because they were obviously unaware of, of where they were or what was happening and frightened. And Sinead's always been quite a nurturing child. Mm-hmm. So she would bring, she would collect up these little lost souls and bring them home. And, and at one stage, as unbelievable as it seems, there was up to 30 children in her bedroom. How did you know that, Shane? Is that because you yourself are somebody that can see into the spirit world? I could, I could sense them, um, and she was having a lot of disturbed sleep. She would, um, we would hear her in a bedroom talking, talking to people at night, and knowing that there was no one else in the house. First off, I thought perhaps that she'd gone and jumped in a brother's bed and she'd be chatting. And then it got, it started to get a bit too much for her. So she would, she would come complaining that she couldn't sleep. Her sleep was constantly being disturbed and she'd talk about her friends um, that were keeping her awake at night. She referred to them as fairies. So so around the time that um, I had my friend Lindsay, I had my friend Lindsay come up around the time and she was the one who identified that there was possibly an entity attachment to Jamie and quite remarkable because it was just from looking at a photo of Jamie. Jamie wasn't actually in the house at that time and, um, and she'd identified that, yes, there definitely were all of these lost souls in Shanae's bedroom. So she said about releasing releasing them, um, we set up what we call an ascension column in the backyard. And it's um, for us, it's, it's basically um, you set the energy and the intention of setting up this column of white light that actually 
can attract and draw lost souls that can can come to this white light and they can be drawn to wherever they're supposed where, where they're supposed to be the other side of the veil and so for Shanae Lindsay actually spent a good day working with Shanae remembering she was five or six at the time and um, Shanae thing Shanae didn't want to let go these were her friends and they were company for her so they set about setting up what they called an ascension cubby house so Lindsay had Shanae with her help, energetically set up what looked like in their mind, in Shanae's mind, um, a, like a princess castle cubby house so that if Shanae was still collecting and bringing these little lost souls home, she could actually take them to the cubby house and they could go where they needed to be. That's quite beautiful. And did that give Shanae some rest and some peace and she began to be able to sleep better after all of this? Absolutely. She, um, she, at first she, she fought it. She didn't want to let her friends go and we kept explaining to her that it was important for her and it was important for them that they go. They may have had, as I said, it was Kidlow's an old place. So, I mean, you know, some, of these, some of these little kids could have been around for, you know, 50 years or more and we explained to Shanae that they probably had mummies and daddies and grandparents that were waiting for them on the other side and that it wasn't fair for us to keep them from being where they needed to be. Yes. And so this, just to so that we get our chronology right, this was prior to Jamie's passing? This started prior to Jamie's yeah. passing. It kind of ramped up a bit after Jamie passed um, because Jamie, Jamie was one of the souls that went to Shanae. In the in the four days between us realizing that he'd been sort of in the he'd he'd been flung into the void after his accident, and so he, he there was an incident there one day where uh, my niece Cherry, my my sister Tuesday's daughter, had come and she heard Shanae talking in her bedroom and came in and sort of said to Shanae like What are you What are you doing? Who are you talking to? And Shanae said It's all right. It's just Jamie. And Cherry sort of said to <laughs> Cherry said to Shanae. You can't talk like that, Shanae. Like you'll you'll upset your mum. Like what are you doing? And Shanae just looked at her and said, "It's okay, Cherry. He's fine. He's just we're just hanging out." <laughs> it, um, I guess for her, having had that experience and having had the experience with Lindsay, she was able to recognise that Jamie was just coming for comfort. Yeah. So for for quite a few days there, she would retreat. She would take off into a bedroom, and um, and just hang out and, and chat to Jamie. So in retrospect, having that experience when she was such a little girl, five or six, actually helped her perhaps in the, to deal with the aftermath of her brother's sudden passing. And do you well, feel that? I do. She she didn't, for, for Shanae, it was completely normal for her to be sitting on a bed talking to her brother who'd passed away. Mm. So it wasn't, um, and I think that's why she reacted the way that she did with Cherry, because to Shanae, it was just like, I, I do this all the time. Like I, I'm always talking to little kids and and stuff like that. And and after Jamie's passing, I would then, I'm not sure if it was through Shanae's energy because Shanae and I are quite close and energetically like I was with Jamie, we're very close. We um, we finish each other's sentences. We'll have the same thought at the same time. Um, we've given up playing the, you know, the board game, Guess Who? We've, we've just stopped playing it because nine out of 10 times we'll actually pick the same avatar. So... I definitely, after Jamie's passing, that's when I started seeing more and more children 
previous to that it was just random it could be you know mostly older people or you know teenagers but after Jamie's passing I started seeing a lot more children so I think part of the experience of the night that Jamie died it opened or you know it it seemed the veil more. Yes I'm also remembering that just I'm still thinking of Shanae's psychic abilities and her mediumship. I'm remembering that on the night he passed at exactly the same time that you felt that pain, she was sick, violently sick and vomited. She was. Yeah, she vomited in a bed and that's I think that's the only thing that smacked me out of what I was experiencing. I just I quickly I I quite often send up prayers and I send up prayers to the angels. Um what I call the angels. And I think her being sick at that time, it, it in the back of my mind, reinforced that, yes, something definitely had happened, but it also it shifted my focus to, to dealing with her. And, and she couldn't explain what was going on, just that, that she was sick. And it was strange because she hadn't been unwell at all that day. Mm. And it later emerged that the time, because you both felt sick in different ways at exactly the same time, and it later emerged that was the time of his passing. Yeah, it was six minutes past, about six minutes past eight, because I had I'd been distracted. I'd, I'd distracted myself in the office, mm. and she she'd actually gone to bed at that stage. So, um, and it was it wasn't at that time. It wasn't usual for us for one of us to jump into bed with her, but for some reason that night Jeff had actually jumped into bed with her. Mm. So it was um, yeah, it was quite quite different that that changed after Jamie's passing um Shanae quite often jumped into bed with us or slept with us I think part of it was that was the only way that she could she understood how to to shift the souls on to take them to the Ascension Covey house but she still hadn't at you know at six years of age she still hadn't learned to set the boundaries yes or to prevent them from coming so we we would talk with her you know you have to tell them this is my rest time this is sleep time so i think for her jumping into bed with us partly was because of her brother's passing which is a really confusing thing for a small child and partly to as a way for her to protect herself from from you know the spirits that were flocking to her bedroom because they were aware that she was open and listening to you tell us about that and i had the same thought last episode when you initially told us about Shanae and the and the little lost souls that would come to her i think how lucky that she was to have parents who were understanding and willing to look for options and talk to her gently about the best way to cope with this. And you didn't shut her down. You didn't um, discourage, but you you helped her set firm boundaries. I've heard in my years of interviewing, and these are other generations, older generations, some terrible stories of children who would tell their parents about what was happening and they would they would get a hiding. And I think I think that with me, part of my um, when when we left Kalgoorlie and moved to Perth to really cement our family unit, part of that was for me to get away from a lot of those generational patterns, because I had not been heard as a child. Um, I was I was often dismissed and told, "Oh, you're making it up, or you're looking for attention, or that's not possible. It, it's not real. It can't happen." I made a decision. As you know, as my as I started having children, that I would always hear them and I would always listen to them, and that whether I whether I agreed or believed with it or not, that that was their truth, and that it was important for my children to be able to sit in their own truth. Yes, and you're going to tell us um, about 
the role that you believe Jamie's passing has played in a greater way in terms of this intergenerational trauma that you began to be able to heal and better understand after he passed. And it's a very profound story that I'm I'm looking forward to you sharing with us towards the end of our conversation today, Shane. Mm-hmm. But right now what I'd like to do is go back to Jamie and something that happened a year after his passing when you scattered his ashes at the most beautiful place. It's called Lismurdy Falls and it just I remember you sending me photos and it's just so beautiful. And you described it as a moment of great healing. Now, there are a couple of things with this place. One is that just the night before this happened, he appeared to you. Could you take us back to this moment and tell us what this meant to you? I think every every visit that I've had from Jamie, I, I question again because of because of challenges and and stuff I've had you know growing up I think visits from Jamie just reinforced that we were doing what was best for him Les Moody Falls has a special place in our hearts um, three weeks prior to Jamie's passing it was Mother's Day and we'd actually gone we'd actually gone to mother uh, gone to Les Moody Falls and we'd climbed halfway up and it was Jamie Braden Shanae and I and we were just you know the water was trickling and the boys were running around all over the rocks and Shanae and I were just sitting playing in the in the little pools and um and it was a beautiful day and it was one of Jamie's most favorite places in the world when when he wasn't coping or things were happening for him it was a place that he would ride his push bike to 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 find a bit of peace and a bit of a bit of quiet so the, the night before, Jamie had, had appeared in a dream and it was his way of letting me know because I was still questioning a year on, am I ready to actually let go? Am I ready to let his ashes go? And it was his way of, of just validating that and saying, mum, you know, like you couldn't keep me, you couldn't keep me locked up at home when I was here and, you know, this is his most favourite place in the world. Let, let, me, let me be here. It's amazing the the ongoing communication with you, you know. It rips open sort of the fabric of what we perceive to be reality, doesn't it? Absolutely, and and that's that's one of the things that I did struggle with for years because I would have these experiences and I'd be like, how do I explain that to somebody? <laughs> <laughs> like how do people would ask me, are you are you certain? And I'm like, I'm more certain than I've ever been in my life because I just I just know. And the experiences are ongoing and and they certainly were, especially in the years following Jamie's passing. So before we get off the topic of Les Murdy Falls, there's an amazing photo and I'm hoping to be able to share it with all of the audience. The photo is of Shanae sitting on the rocks and how many years, was it two years after his passing that this was taken? yeah, so at, at Jamie's funeral, um, we didn't have cards or anything like that printed. We had a photo, a specific photo, and it's it's the last photo ever taken of Jamie. And it was given, it was gifted to me by one of the ladies at, um, at Yira at the rehabilitation centre that he'd been in. Um, so we had a heap of those photos printed. And um, I think I've mentioned before, I had a little side gig, like a little new age business that sold crystals and yes. oils and things. So I'd touched base one of my suppliers was actually an old school friend of mine. And um, so she she actually provided us with quite a few kilos of amethyst point crystals to give out at that at the funeral service. So we, we had the photographs and we had a, just a big bowl of crystals and we invited everybody to take what they needed. And um, amethyst is a stone of addiction. So it, it just felt right to have that stone there and and it was purple and it's purple is actually my favorite color so (laughs) mine too um, 
<laughs> yeah, so we, so we had those there and we gave them out. And we had a heap left over after the after the service. And um, so on on the anniversary, the first anniversary of Jamie's passing, we actually scattered his ashes into Les Murdy Falls. A whole heap of us, some of us climbed from the bottom to the top, and others just went to the from the from the top to the, you know sort of the middle where there's a where there's a viewing platform. And we scattered his ashes. And it was beautiful because as they, they hit the water and sort of ran down the falls, it was like a rainbow. It was, yeah, there was just this sort of rainbow that sort of came sort of on the top and, and over the water as his ashes ran down. And so a few of us had actually had, still had our amethyst chunks from, from the funeral service. So we actually threw those into Les Moody Falls with his ashes. And then the, the following year, so on Jamie's anniversary for quite a few years, we would actually go to go to Les Moody Falls and we'd climb halfway up and we'd sit in the little pools and, and just reflect and, and for us it was a, a way of feeling close to Jamie. His, his ashes were there. It was the last place we'd visited as a family, that kind of thing. So I was just had an old, it was um, the photo that you mentioned, it's actually taken on an old like Nokia 3350. I was just snapping photos of Brady. Brady had actually climbed to the top. Um, Shanae was sitting in the just sitting sort of where the water was running down behind her so I was just happy snapping away at these photos and it wasn't until later when I'd gone to load them up into Facebook on Jamie's memorial page that I noticed in this photo that Shanae's sitting side on and she's wearing a singlet shirt and behind her there's an arm and at first glance you, you think oh Shanae's got her arm out and it appears to be holding something small and purple but when I kept looking at the photo, like I, I, just, I kept getting goosebumps. I kept getting this feeling that it wasn't what, like my brain wasn't processing what I was seeing. So we actually blew the photo up and it appears to be an arm coming out of the rocks uh, with a long sleeve black shirt on holding an amethyst crystal. And when you look at the photo, really look at the photo, there's no possible way that it's Shanae's arm. So for us, um, again, it's it's just a validation to us that Jamie Jamie's way of letting us know that he'd received the gifts that we we put in. It really to the is falls for him. Yes, and it really is an amazing photo. I've seen it, and uh, and I'm hoping to share it with everyone with your permission. Yeah, absolutely. It is really amazing because, as you say, at first glance, you do think, "Oh, it's Shanae waving," but then yeah. then the second thing you see is that, "Oh no, it's not." The hand is not the size of a little girl's hand. It can't be. No, and the angle. And the angle and the sleeve. And and so, yeah, as you look closely, it just becomes this extraordinary document. So thank you for um, telling us that story and, yeah, and I'm looking forward to posting it. Now, speaking of experiences with Jamie and how how amazing they are, I remember you said something very lovely to me after Spirit Sisters was published and I put it in my second book in Where Spirits Dwell. You said, Mm -hmm. he appears to us often, both in dreams and in everyday life. I often see him at night, sitting on Braden's window ledge, just watching over him, his legs swinging back and forth, and the love that radiates from him is amazing. That's such a beautiful image. It and it, and it was and I'd I'd often just just a glimpse I'd walk past Brady's door heading to the bathroom late at night or and you'd just see you'd just see these little legs swinging and sometimes it wouldn't even be seeing you'd just walk past and feel Jamie has a distinct way of letting us know that he's here and sometimes it's a quick glimpse of him 
and other times it's a smell and it's it's a, it's a, it's an odd smell it's a smell of cigarette smoke and the deodorant africa lynx africa which was his absolute favorite favorite deodorant and will quite often just be walking through the house and you'll get this smell and you'll think oh Jamie's sort of you know Jamie's popped up or 20 cent pieces feature big we quite often find 20 cent pieces. I actually found I popped up to Kalgoorlie on Friday for some work and called into Braden's house because he's living in Kalgoorlie with his partner. And um, as I was walking up the path, there was a 20 cent piece on the lawn next to the path. And I thought, oh, Jamie's letting us know that he's keeping an eye over Brady and Jazz and the new baby. So oh, that's beautiful. That was, um, yeah. And, and the 20 cent piece, the relevance the 20 cent piece when Jamie when Jamie passed and they gave us back his they gave us his clothing at the at the hospital all he had in his pocket in his jeans pocket was a 20 cent piece yeah so that's that's all he had and when he was when he was dressed we actually put that that 20 cent piece actually went back into his pocket so um, at the funeral home when he was dressed it's interesting isn't it because 20 cent pieces, I, I actually can't remember the last time I saw one, let alone to yeah. find them on the ground, you know. And I don't, yeah. I don't have change, so I don't carry change. If I do, it's $1 and $2 coins. But, um, you know, today's society, especially yeah. when it's, it's all cash, I, I often, shopping, I'll randomly find a 20 cent piece when I'm at the supermarket or, you know, walking around the yard or it, it'll either be a 20 cent piece or they'll, sometimes there'll be a black feather. Yeah, but the the most telling sign that that we're having a visit from Jamie, if you know, when we're awake, is that it's that smell of of deodorant and cigarette mixed with cigarette smokes. So that's um, been going quite strong, strong, yeah. And I think I mentioned that in the story. So that is just something that he that's his calling card, and he doesn't look it like is. yeah, he's going to give up yeah. sending that one anytime soon. No, and the kids all like I remember years ago we were um in a house in Parkerville and I was, I'm not sure what I was doing. The kids were in the office playing on the computer and I've come past the office and the kids are like, Jamie's here, mum. And I'm like, how do you know? And then this smell just hit me and I'm like, yep, they know. <laughs> <laughs> and how very nice for to know that he's aware of his new little nephew that's been born and that yeah. he's there watching. So that's, that's beautiful. And um, Shane, sometimes bereaved mums that I interview or anybody who's lost lost a child, they'll tell me that they have a sense of some work or some something that their child is doing in the spirit world. I wondered if you have any sense of where Jamie is and what his work or purpose there may be. With Jamie, it's he's I I believe that we continue to evolve and grow. In, in the spirit world um, past and beyond the energy that we were when we were here. And Jamie Jamie has continued to grow and evolve. Um, my friend Lindsay that I've mentioned before, she actually told me a couple of years ago that she'd lost track of Jamie, like she wasn't sure what he was up to. So for me, it's I believe that the essence or the energy that we knew of as Jamie continues to stick with the family and he's taken on a role of, of some sort of guardian for the family. Okay. But his his higher purpose from his soul from his soul monad has actually moved moved past to to where we're not actually sure we're not because we're not aware of what his what his contract was or what his we're partially aware of, you know, his role in our lives, but we're not sure what 
what he'd he'd signed up for, so to speak, for for later on. But there's definitely indications that Jamie has taken on, or the essence of Jamie has taken on a role within our family as a guardian. And Brayden and I have talked about it often where he said, um, Brayden, Brayden's had a bit of a... um, bit of a hard time as he as he was growing he was 13 when Jamie passed it made him a very angry and very very sad young boy and he took he took that into sort of into his adult years um, which thankfully he's coming out the other side of now has been for the last two years he's um he's just growing and and you know becoming an amazing human being but um, he's actually said to me, Mum, there's been situations that I don't want to talk to you about because I don't want to upset or frighten you. He said, but there's been situations where I've done things or I've been involved in things or I've, you know, with cars and things like that. And he said, Mum, I shouldn't have come out of it. I shouldn't be here. He said, but every time I've felt my brother and I know that my brother's keeping me safe. That's so powerful. And it leads me so smoothly into this next question because. Back in 2013, you wrote to me on Facebook to tell me about an absolutely mind-bending experience that you'd had when you were almost carjacked. And had it not been for Jamie's interference in that moment, things could have turned out very badly indeed. Now, it was so, so scary. And the way you told it, you gave me a real sense of what it meant to you in terms of you learning appreciation for the power of prayer as well. Would you oh, share absolutely. this story with us, Shane? Yeah, so I'd um, I'd become involved with. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. The program um, by a lady in America named Brandon Bays. Yes, and it's called the the journey. And part of my healing and part of my healing process was that I'd actually gone and done and and was fortunate enough to actually have sat through um, and and completed the journey. Um, with Brandon Bays herself. So mm. um, I'd connected with and, and became friends with some of the people in Perth that are continuing her work. And I'd gone to, uh, there's a lady named Sharon Turton who lives in Sydney and she's she does a lot of Brandon Bays journey work. She's one of Brandon's high up people in Australia. And she started a program called the Junior Journey for, for children like Shanae that, um, that were hurting or had, had experienced loss or were struggling. And she'd found a way to, to take the journey program and make it relevant to children. And she called it the Junior Journey. So Sharon had invited me to we'd, we'd enrolled Shanae. I'd enrolled Shanae into the junior journey. It was two days over at City Beach, and um, Sharon had invited me to come on the Friday night before and help set the room up and 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 make sure that everything was ready for the activities and whatnot. And um, had also in, invited me to come, you know, like just oversee and make sure that you know things were running smoothly and make sure that the kids were taken care of. So there were extra people in the room if the kids needed them. And it was on that Friday night where I was driving home from City Beach. And at the time we had a, um, which is another funny Jamie story, we had a yellow, a bright yellow SS Commodore that looked like the Bumblebee sort of, it had the stripes like the Bumblebee from the Transformers movie. And I'd, um, I was driving home and I'd, I'd got to this set of traffic lights and over to the left of me, it was it was a T, like a, um, like a cross intersection traffic lights. And I was in the left lane and over to the left of me was like, it was like a nature reserve leading on to a park where they were playing, um, I don't know what sport, like football or baseball or something. And it was, it was about 6.30, but it was getting dark. 
And I pulled up at this set of traffic lights and a little green Hyundai XL pulled up next to me. And normally, again, normally it wouldn't sort of, I wouldn't take much notice of it, but the hairs on the back of my neck rose and I thought, oh, I, I feel a bit like I just I felt a bit weird. So I've looked over at the car and there's this man in the car and he's just staring intensely at me. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now. So I actually locked the car door. Um, when I hit the lock, it locks all of the doors. So I'd locked the car doors and we're sitting at these traffic lights and he just kept staring at me. And so I'd sort of look away and then I'd look back at him and then I'd look away. And then I've looked at him again and he's actually motioning like he's about to get out of the car. So he's opened his door, he's opened his car door and as he's gone to get out of the car, because I've, I've just sort of freaked out, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's going to carjack me. That's the first thing that went in my brain. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's going to like try and take my car. He's gone to get, out, to get out and I'm watching him and I'm like, oh, my Lord, I'm like, angels, help me. Like, I need I need help here. Something, something bad's about to happen. And I'm just going to myself, Jamie, I need you. Like, I need you here right now. Mum needs help. And as he's gone to get out of the car, he's taken his seatbelt off, but his arm has hooked in the seatbelt and he's sort of tangled up in the seatbelt and he's trying to pull his arm out of the seatbelt, but he was staring at me the whole time. So he wasn't watching, he wasn't looking to try and untangle, he just kept staring at me and that's, I think that was accelerating my fear. And I'm in my brain, I'm like, just help, please, angels, God, Jesus, Jamie, like I need you, mate, mum needs you right now. And oh, sorry, <laughs> he's um he's got out of he's, he's he's finally untangled himself and he's got out of the car and then he's gone to take a step toward me and the whole time he's staring at me and he's dropped his phone hmm. and I'm still praying like angels Jesus Jamie like help I need I need help he's dropped his phone so he's gone to bend down to pick his phone up and again the whole time he's doing it he's just looking at me it was. So I, I knew his intention definitely by that stage because he's he's not paying attention to what's happening around him. He's just staring at me in the car. And um, he's bent to pick his phone up and somehow shuffled his foot and kicked his phone and it slid along and just under the, the Hyundai that he'd got out of. And he's, so he's fumbling around <laughs> under the car and he's still staring at me. And I'm like ready to lose my mind by this stage and I'm I'm actually watching him fumbling in my bag for my for my phone I'm thinking I need to call somebody I need to do something and at that moment a police car has pulled up no. on the on the cross on the cross street in front of me he's pulled up and he's sort of looking over my way as well and I'm looking at this guy and I'm looking back to the police car and I'm looking back to this guy and for whatever reason, the police car's hit its lights, it's hit its indicator and it's turned turned right to come like past where we were sitting. And at that point, the guy's retrieved his phone. He's walked along the back of my car. He's noticed the police car as well. He's walked along the back of my car and as he has, he's sort of tapped on the boot of the car, like giving it a tap, almost as if to say, well, you got lucky this time. Mm, chilling. 
Yeah, and he's he's walked off. He's gone like he's mapped it through this nature reserve heading towards this oval and the lights turned green at this stage. So I've waited because I'm, I'm still watching the, the girl in the Hyundai next to me. I'm watching her and she's sort of looking at me and so she's taken off slowly and so I've, I've just sat there thinking I'm going to let her go before me. I don't want this car behind me. I don't want it following me home. So I've let her go and then I've gone through and, and I'm not sure what was happening with the police, whether they whether they had an awareness or something was happening with them. I'm not sure if the, the energy I was pulling asking for help had somehow pierced and reached out to them. They've actually come, they've actually done a U-turn and they've put their lights, they've had their lights on, they've hit their siren and they've taken off after this Hyundai. So I've pulled over into the sort of the left lane a bit where at the merge point waiting for the police to go past me. And they've gone, they've chased the Hyundai and we've gone up a couple of streets and the, the car, the car's turned off to the right and the police went off after them. So I just kind of tried my best to hold it together and drove the like half an hour home. So um, pulled in the gate and poor Jeff got a bit of a blubbering mess when I got out of the car. I'm just like, I'm pretty sure I was almost carjacked. <laughs> I can't imagine how frightening that must have been for you, but also how astounding to know that you asked for help and it came as well. And, and that was a big lesson for me. I'm not a person who reaches out and asks for help. And now, that I, as soon as I get in my car now, I'm, I'm saying, okay, driving angels, let's get there safely. Driving angels, find me a parking spot at the other end. Um, if I'm stuck at an intersection, okay, driving angels, clear me a path safely. So I'm, I'm constantly talking to a higher source when I'm driving now just to ensure that, you know, we get to where we're going safely. If the kids go, if the kids are driving off somewhere, I'm talking, I'm saying, make, you know, help them, help them keep safe, help them make good choices with their driving and things like that. So it, it, for me, it's not being able to ask for assistance or ask for help to knowing that I don't have to ask a specific person for assistance or help. Um, and also giving myself permission to do that now has been massive. And I believe it comes from that experience because prior to that I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought to ask for help. Isn't that interesting? And to me, listening to that, it ties in with the idea of self-love and compassion and learning to treat ourselves kindly as well, where we're in a position where we can open and, and receive as well as giving. Oh, absolutely. And and that's been a big um a big thing that I've worked on for years. And it's it's one of the things I'm often telling my girlfriends, just be kinder to yourself. Give yourself the same permission and give yourself the same love and give yourself the same kindness that you send out to the world because it starts with you. I'm so aligned with you on that, Shane. I want to ask you, I just want to pick up a little bit on what you said about Brandon Bays and, and the journey work. And I have I am familiar with it and I've read about it. I wondered mm -hmm. if this is an exploration that began for you to uncover more of yourself following Jamie's passing or whether it had started prior? When I moved from Kalgoorlie to Perth, I started to get a real sense and I was I was in my early 30s. I'd started to get a real sense that, um, that there was something 
I mean, I'd, I'd always had a sense that there was something out there bigger than me, but I started to really cement that because, again, being away, being out of the environment that I'd grown up in, I was starting to give myself permission and, and seek out things that could help me understand what had been happening to me throughout my whole life. For me, I needed to be out of my environment and away from from the people that didn't necessarily understand. So I'd started I'd started going to like meditation groups and and stuff like that prior to Jamie's passing. After Jamie passed, it was a my sister was involved. My sister Judy was involved in in a program that um, her and a friend of hers were setting up that was about releasing your limitations and understanding what your limitations were and um, letting them go and starting to live a more authentic life that was true to yourself. So it was just by chance that I ended up being in a seminar about, I was about 18 months after Jamie died. I ended up fortunate enough to um, be invited to a seminar by Maggie Dent the child adolescent resilience specialist oh, that, yes, ori- yes. Yeah, that originally was here in, um, she's, she's lived in Albany and she's, I think she's in Sydney now. So I ended up being in this course on this two-day mental health, um, you know, for adolescents course with Maggie. And it was a funny thing on the final day, Maggie, on in this particular course, Maggie sort of puts a crown on and, and lets you know that you're, we're all queens and um, and she was introducing us to a concept called NLP and hypnosis and um, she'd put this crown on, she'd just grabbed in a bag and put this crown on and then someone sort of went, oh, is it your birthday, Maggie? And she's gone, no, and she's taken the crown off and it's got happy birthday written on it, but it was actually my birthday. Oh, <laughs> That's great. And she's gone. She's sort of like, well, is anyone here having a birthday today? And and I've sort of quietly, meekly put my hand up and gone, <laughs> yeah, it's actually my birthday. And she's like, oh, that's really great. Come and see me afterwards after the seminar's finished. So, And it was really cool because I got to meet Maggie and give her a hug and she gave me gifts of some meditation CDs and some stuff to bring home for, for Shanae and Brady, you know, to be able to listen to. And from there, that led... The understanding of NLP and how language, how we can use language to to collapse anchors and to collapse strategies and to collapse behaviours and ideas that we have that we've taken from, um, you know, genealogically that we've taken from our parents and our grandparents and our environment and whatnot and actually use language as a way to turn that around and and make things better for yourself, like become, you know, a better version of yourself through just changing the way that you think and the way that you speak. So that then led to me finding another group of people about six months later called Breakthrough Academy, which are based in Queensland. I actually started studying with them. That was 12 years ago now. So I started studying with Breakthrough Academy to learn learn ways that I could, if I was working myself up into anxiety or to, to actually recognise the pattern, recognise the trigger, understand what the pattern was and find find a strategy or find a way to, to get myself out of out of that feeling or that, you know, that that pattern. And through Breakthrough Academy, I'd met a girl who had done the journey and she said to me, um, she actually recommended that, um, you know, like I know that Brandon's coming to Australia next year. So um, it was just through, again, through a, a series of randomly kind of things that just led from one thing to another that um, I ended up 
uh, doing the the Brandon Baster Journey Seminar, and that was a huge turning point for me because Brandon, one of the core values and one of the things that Brandon teaches you is to forgive yourself for whatever you perceive that you've done and and gives you tools and strategies to to actually um, elicit healing within yourself rather than seeking outside of yourself for someone to help you or someone to change your behaviour. Programs like The Journey and Breakthrough Academy actually give you the support that you need and give you the tools so that you can actually do a lot of that work for yourself. And that's what you've been doing all of these years. And I, yeah, 12 years ago, that, that chance encounter with Maggie Dent mm. led to like an amazing, amazing change in lifestyle, a massive change in perspective and a greater and deeper understanding of myself, which I've then be able to, been able to ripple out to my, my family and, and my close environment. Yes, and I think that's that's a great moment for you to share a little bit more about the idea that in every tragedy there's something that is a, a hidden lesson and that for you in particular, Shane, Jamie's death led you to an understanding of your role in breaking patterns of addiction and anger and hurt that had been rippling throughout your family tree. Can you tell us about that, please? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Jamie... In the first few years of Jamie's passing, I, I felt I was being punished for something. I, I felt that I was being punished for not being a great parent or um, for not being able to understand him. And and as as I've continued to grow and learn through through having access to these to these great you know to these other people that have a, a different perspective than I had, I've been able to understand more so that that with Jamie, that the tragedy of Jamie passing was also a catalyst for me to to actually step up and say when we're not I'm not going to allow for these patterns because I was seeing the patterns of addiction already forming in Brayden mm. and Shanae had Shanae had was starting to form the pattern of of depression uh, which is a label I don't like to use but um, you know Shanae was you know from from a six-year-old was starting to exhibit the signs that that I'd known most of my life because I'd either experienced it myself or watched my mum and other family members. So for me, for me, Jamie's passing, it sounds awful because it came at the cost of this beautiful young man's life, but it really showed to me that there there is a different way to live, that you don't have to be stuck in sadness, that you don't have to be reliant on, you know, toxic substances and things like that to, to be able to get through the day. And um, the Breakthrough Academy was massive for me with that because they they were able to show me again tools and strategies to to look back look back at look at the past and not be stuck there, which is what happens a lot in my family. We tend to get you know members of my family tend to be stuck in things that happen without seeing a way out or without seeing a way forward. So. For me, it became ultra important to to be able to identify the patterns and identify the behaviours that that were happening within my family. And this isn't just my my family and my parents and my brothers and sisters. This it goes back through um, three generations. Um, I'm also a believer that we can inherit karma from previous generations. And that's part of what I think has been happening in our family. We've inherited, we've inherited behaviours and, and perceptions, and we've also inherited some of the karma that people um, have come 
before us. And one of the great, one of the greatest things that showed me that um, was after, not long after I'd actually done Brandon Bay's The Journey, that I was sitting in the lounge room and I was having a, you know, poor little old me moment and I was feeling pretty down. And I just had this energy, I felt this sense and I've closed my eyes and I felt my nan. My nan passed when I was 14. She was the most beautiful soul. And I, I knew that it was my nan. And my nan had her, she was behind me and she had her hand on my shoulder. And I closed my eyes and I just sort of leaned back in the chair. And I had this picture, this image in my head of her mother behind her and my other grandmother, my mum. And there were just all these women going back as, you know, to almost like a line till they sort of faded away. And I knew. I knew then that I was sort of, I was heading in the right track and that what I was trying to achieve for myself and for my family was the right thing and that I had the spirit of all of these women from generations back that were were supporting me and giving me their strength. And it was at that moment that I also realized that in doing the work that I'm trying to do now with my family, that I'm actually healing them as well and removing that karma and removing that genealogical pattern of, of sadness and, and abuse and addiction. That brings tears to my eyes. It's a breathtakingly profound image to see that line of women, feel them behind you, holding you up. And and, and what and that, yeah, and what that you've just said. Me. Yeah, go it on. It brings me strength every day. Mm. That if I if I'm feeling sorry for myself or like this is a bit overwhelming or this is too much, I can immediately access that image and know that I'm never alone. You're never alone. And then what you said after that though, Shane, as well, that you are also helping them. So they're all holding you up and giving you their strength, but you're helping them too. You're helping them heal as well. Absolutely. And and that hopefully brings them brings them peace on their side of the veil and, and helps, you know, helps them to progress and evolve and continue to help us on this side as well. There's so much in there and the audience of Spirit Sisters knows that I'm fascinated with the idea of this kind of quantum healing that we heal ourselves and that healing ripples out in every yeah. direction. <laughs> And and I'm seeing it in the kids. Brayden Brayden has gone from being a very angry, very troubled young man to sorting himself out and sorting his life out and, and accepting support from us, but largely digging down and, and grabbing that strength and finding it for himself to where, you know, him and his partner Jazzy have just had a beautiful little baby little Jimmy and Shanae, Shanae spent the best part of her teenage years locked in a bedroom, barely graduating high school and now she's a second year apprentice with BHP and it's it's because I chose and, and I understand this now, I wasn't able to receive it at first and it's taken me a while to be able to accept it but it started with me working on myself. That really hits me in in such a in such a powerful way, and I'm sure that so many of our audience are listening and they're sitting up higher in their chairs too. As you say that, I think also of something that you said to me just before we ended our conversation last time. I don't think I I recorded this for the audience, but you said we carry the pain of the people that went before us. But what your image of the the women shows me and shows everyone who's listening, I think, is that. We also carry their strength. Oh, absolutely. And and if I can help 
eliminate some of that pain <laughs> through their strength and pass that on. It, it's not it's not just for me. It, it originally, initially, I realised that as a mum, one of the hardest things you can do is put yourself before your children. And Jamie's death taught me that I had to do that. I had to put myself before the children because if I wasn't any good, then I wasn't any good to them. So what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to do with my healing and I'm and I'm constantly healing <laughs> is is I'm not just doing I'm doing it for me here now and I'm doing it for my children I'm doing it for my grandmothers and my grandfathers and my ancestors but I'm also doing it for Jimmy so that Jimmy's got that going forward and Jimmy it's bigger than me but it starts with me if that makes sense yes it it, it absolutely makes sense and I know that Jimmy your little newborn grandson is is already reaping the benefits of your healing because as you said his dad is already doing better you know yeah absolutely so um, you have already changed things for him and i want to commend you there because it's the hardest work in the world isn't it to look inside it's it's extremely difficult and there's been moments where i've tried to run away from myself and i've learned the hard way that i take me with me <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> And I never truly understood the, the power of healing and, and what it could do until I learned that I had to do it for myself because I, when Jamie died for the first couple of years, I was, I was just repeating the pattern. I was repeating the pattern of sadness to the point where some days I wouldn't want to get out of bed some days and it will be hard for people to hear. It's hard for me to say, but some days I would go to bed wishing that I didn't wake up. And now, because I've because I identified a need to not repeat the pattern, and identified that if I continued to to do what I'd always done, then I would just be be laying that same foundation for my kids and for their kids and for their kids. That was a pretty hard, sharp slap in the face. But it woke me up to an idea that I didn't have to repeat the patterns and I didn't have to to live the way that I'd been living just because my mum did just because her mum did because that's what we knew and that's what we'd learned so it um it yeah it just became so massively important for me to to stop it to just stop and identify learn to identify patterns and and start to smash and we've smashed a pretty big pattern in this generation and that's the, the pattern of sexual abuse um my children are one of the the first generation that haven't experienced that within our family, which for me is massive. That is that is massive. Thank you for sharing it, and I, I appreciate that. That's a very that's a, a huge thing to share publicly. Yeah, but it's it's important because it's it shows that for me it it really shows the power of of putting in the time and doing the work and and working on. You know, just 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 working working on yourself and and clearing out emotion and healing emotion. We, we all have emotion, and a lot of us aren't aware of of what to do with it. So it just sits there. And when you when when I started to basically throw it back and say that's you know that doesn't serve me. That's that's not for me. That doesn't serve my people. Then I was able to see without actually. This is this is the power of it. This is what amazes me. I haven't had to sit down and say to my kids, you, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. I've literally just 
done what I needed to do and let them watch me, let them observe and give them guidance and and share experiences with them, trust them and understand them, conditionally love them and they've done the work themselves. I'm so thankful you're sharing all of this today because I can imagine how it serves our listeners, how it's serving me, you know, to hear that. I, I commend your courage because God knows it's hard. It's hard to do that healing work and see what's, what's under there. <laughs> It is hard and, and that's one of the things that is as difficult as it was to lose Jamie. I often wonder would I have stepped on this path that I'm on currently had I not experienced that loss. And what have you come to when you wonder that? What do you take inside when you wonder that? I'm, I believe that, that that was part of Jamie's purpose that that was part of you know his purpose for being here because Jamie tried to show me that in his own way and I wasn't able to receive and I have a belief that that we all come we have a soul group if you would picture a glass of water a full glass of water and you dip your finger into the glass of water and lift it up and that there's a little droplet a little droplet drops back into the glass mm-hmm. that little droplet is me and the glass is my soul group and, and it's the culmination or, or the, the sum of all all of where I've been and where I'm going, lives that have been, lives that have yet to come and the people, the people that are in my life. And part of me now understands that that part of Jamie's role in my life was to was to push me, was to help me to start to break the patterns. And again, that the tragedy of it is that it, it came at the cost of his life but I also had an understanding for a long time that I think I've mentioned to you before that I never actually truly believed that Jamie would live past the age of 16. You did say that you did yes. And it was just again it was one of those it's it's sort of you have the thought and it's like oh yeah that's a pretty horrible thing to think but that's something that's been with me for a very very long time and I wonder now is is that is that the reason is 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 that the reason why Jamie was here was it to was was part of his soul learnings and his soul lesson to create a catalyst that would change the trajectory of this family it's a very powerful line of inquiry and to me as somebody who has been researching afterlife and all of the associated topics for more than a decade now I can absolutely resonate with what what you're saying because, you know, to use a well-worn metaphor, there's the tapestry and on one side you see the beautiful picture and on the other side it's a mess of tangled knots and it doesn't look pretty at all but it's still part of the tapestry. And that's part of the thing that I've, I've come to understand in the last few years. There's a beautiful poem you probably would have heard of. It's people come into your life for a reason. And it goes on to explain that people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I, that's always, whenever I've read that poem, that, that's, that's Jamie. Mm. It, really, it really sort of resonates with me as, as you know, part of Jamie's, Jamie's legacy, I guess. That's very beautiful. I'll look up that poem. Thank you. Now, mm. as we approach the end of our conversation today, Shane, I'd like to just, as you were one of the original women I interviewed in my first book, which is the best known of my three books. And mm-hmm. I think 
I feel like it was a turning point for me to write it and publish it. And I wonder, you're in a position where you can tell me what having the story, your story told in my book meant to you and whether it was a turning point for you. And then if you could talk about what sharing these stories in general, what purpose it serves and what it means. Oh, absolutely. I, I still, to be honest, don't know what made me pick the phone up and call you that day. <laughs> it had only been, I think, 18 months since Jame had died. And there was just something, something that I think I'd, I'd read an art, I'd, I'd read a thing that an ad that you'd put in the Nova magazine. Yes. And it was, again, it, it just came back to that I need to do this. I think seeing the ad and then connecting with you and speaking to you for the for the book it gave me gave me permission to start living some of my truth because these are stories I'd never told anyone before or if I had tried to tell somebody it was it was dismissed it was like no you know that's that's not that's not reality kind of thing so yeah speaking with you and and hearing your why for why you were doing it, it really hit home for me that um, I guess in part that I'd been living a little bit of a lie because I'd had all these experiences and I hadn't sort of, it had occurred to me, but it hadn't really hit home that other women experience these things, that there are other people. So for me, it was a way to reach out and connect with other women, partly for myself to say, hey, Shane, you're not crazy. (laughs) And partly to sort of, I don't know, it was it. Although I've not met any of the women, I've I've listened to their stories and I've read their stories many years ago, and it it makes me feel like there is a sisterhood out there, and that you were able to bring these people together and take that out. And for me, it, it re- represents a lot of healing. Gosh, that it just really lifts my heart to hear that, and. I'm so grateful that you shared that with me today and that is the work that I'm still trying to do with the podcast and if somebody's listening who's never told their story before and they get some comfort and some affirmation, well, that that's a happy day for me. Yeah, and, and to I guess to sort of repeat something that I've learned from you, stories are powerful and to be able to get my story out I guess for me it was it was something that I needed to do because at the time especially I was still trying to make sense of it all and still questioning whether or not you know whether or not this these things actually happened and to be able to to be able to share with such a compassionate and kind and loving person and to know that that those stories are out there now for other people to access because it really is it really was a big part of of you know setting me on my healing journey Well, thank you. And I think likewise for me, writing that book and hearing all of those stories and continuing to hear them today, healing is an ongoing process. And my interviews, my conversations with you and with all of the other spirit sisters, they they accelerate my healing and they feed it and they nurture it. So I'm really grateful too. (laughs) Shane, I want to close with reading back to you another quote of yours that I used in the second book, Where Spirits Dwell. You said, and it's so very lovely, you said, I often hear I love you and there is no mistaking his voice. I sometimes feel a kiss on the cheek. I guess it's just really comforting to know that some bonds cannot be broken even by death. I just love that so much. And given how distressed 
Jamie looked on that night, that very sad night of his passing, it's so beautiful to hear that he came to a place of such gentleness and peace. So 14 years after Jamie's death, what do you think you've learned or come to believe about life after death? I believe that we continue. We, we, we don't necessarily continue in the physical form, but with Jamie in particular, you know, the, the, little, the little kiss on the cheek, there's no mistaking a kiss on the cheek. Hearing I love you and hearing it in his voice, I actually <laughs> I hear him giggle. I actually heard him giggle one day. I actually felt a shove and I was shoved into the pantry and the door was <laughs> shut behind me and I, I just knew. And for me that that allows me that allows me to, to have the peace and the comfort to know that that although on the night Jamie passed, things changed forever, they only changed in the form or the way. And I think you really did sum that up that in, in your book title, Love Never Dies and We Are Eternal. And we can miss the physical presence of the person. However, if we allow ourselves to open up, then, then we're never really parted ever. That's just wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Just before we finish, I wonder, is there anything that you'd like to offer in particular today to parents who are grieving the loss of a child who might be listening? I think the biggest thing I learned with losing Jamie was to actually let 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 the emotion flow, let the sadness flow. There was a point there. There, there came to a day, I'm, I'm not sure how many days after it was, but I was struggling so hard and I was trying so hard to hold it together for everyone else that I almost burst inside myself. The, the feelings of grief, some people will say it never goes away and I kind of I kind of do agree with that. Um, however, I've also learned that it changes and that one of the biggest lessons for me was to um, to not put it all in, to actually let it let it go and and don't be apologetic and don't try and force force a timeline on there where okay, it's been a year now, I need to pull it together because the truth is as a parent, I don't think you're ever gonna truly pull it together. It it grief changes, it becomes manageable it, it does lessen the thought of your child is there every day and if you can understand like I've explained for, for me specifically that it's only the physical form of that energy of love that's changed then then that took me a great a great way in healing and allowed me to be able to open my eyes to other perceptions and other other ways of of dealing with, you know, the tragedy of my son's death. So I still have days where I feel sad and I'm okay with that now, whereas once upon a time I wouldn't have allowed that. I almost went into like a perfectionist model where everything had to be perfect and I had to control everything and that that didn't serve me either. All that did was exacerbate and and cover the layers of grief that I could have spent time healing through and allowing myself the organic and natural journey of healing. Thank you, Shane. You're a, a gifted speaker and such an authentic and beautiful heart. So much wisdom. Very grateful for you joining us on Spirit Sisters today. And I'm grateful to be able to again share my story and I hope that it reaches someone and allows them to start their healing journey. Thank you, Shane. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. 
I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.